Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I've worked all night on it. <laughs> it's gone through so many iterations, it's not funny. <laughs> He's taking this seriously. I think I had four or five days notice and still it's, it's, <laughs> it's like that awful question, you know, what's your favorite song? Yeah. It's, it's inanswerable, you yeah. know, uh, there's just too many great ones out there and, and, uh, it's not fair. And what's your favorite movie? Again, not fair. So what is your favorite movie, Kiefer? My no. favorite movie is The French Connection. Hey, <laughs> Got no easy. problem answering that in a heartbeat. And, and that's actually so not true. The second I said that, yeah. there's another part of my soul that just went liar. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, Lawrence of Arabia is the other one. <laughs> All right. Well, that's another podcast altogether, isn't it? Yeah, called Liar. In fact, hold on one second. My new festival is the Liar no. Festival. All right. Well, at least we've got a name for it. Thanks for doing this, Kiefer. It's a absolute pleasure. pleasure. Absolute pleasure, man. Just what is it that you want to do? Welcome to a place where we dare to dream. Say good vibes only. Where I, Sean Keaveney, make impossible duets happen. Oh. A fantasy festival that breaks the rules of reality. I'm so excited. I can't get the staff. I mean, you should see the state of my band. <laughs> But unlike some parties, political or otherwise, it's all put together by a group of awesome human beings. But what would it be? What would you sing? Would you sing one Let's of your songs? Let's have Robert sons? De Niro as well. <laughs> five dream acts of their choice for five perfect moments in the day. You want to come in and have a cup of tea and a little lay down? Oh. Like, yes, that's exactly what I want. I just want to be held. <laughs> People, make some noise! Imagine if that was the end of the story. <laughs> Imagine if I said that. For the lineup, season three. That's what you get at a festival. Oh my God, the emotion. <laughs> You might have first encountered today's guest trying to, I don't know, save a president on screen in 24 or dice with death with his medical student friends in Flatliners or actually is the president in TV's designated survivor. You will incidentally soon see him play a former president. More on that later. He's also been... He's been a cowboy, a bad boy, a vampire, a musketeer. He's run the gamut, mate. But then again, you might have seen him on stage rocking out with his band on one of his recent tours. His last album went top 10 in the UK and his latest album number three called Blow Street, which is where he grew up in Toronto. He knows a thing or two then about lineups. So let's introduce to the lineup, Kiefer Sutherland. Wow, that was an awesome introduction. You and I, were going to have to just travel together now. <laughs> it's my only superpower. No, that's a, that's a superpower to have. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm all right, yeah. I'm not so bad. You're looking well. I mean, where, whereabouts in the world are you at the minute? I am in my dining room in Los Angeles, California. Oh. Yeah, I've, I've it's done more. Nice. More. I, I'm sitting here in my top room in Dolly's Hill, which is as salubrious as that sounds. <laughs> and uh, the number of people I've done, I've, I've done Andrew Garfield sitting here. He was in Los Angeles, yeah. such Beddingfield, and it's always it never ceases to make me feel slightly uh, FOMO as though I'm missing out. You know what I mean? Well, if it makes you feel better, 
for the last two weeks, we've had the weirdest weather. And I was supposed to be in England right now touring and obviously could not do it because of the pandemic and the lockdown. And basically we could have gone over, but there were no clubs to play in because (laughs) everything was shut down. So, uh, but we got your weather. Like literally it's been (laughs) Uh, rainy and windy for the last two weeks. And I, there's kind of a part of me that feels like, well, I feel like I've traveled a little bit. Uh, because rain and wind is not something that Los Angeles is familiar with. What do Angelinos do with that kind of weather? Do they do they sort of walk around like stunned animals? No, they get really excited. They jump in their cars and they crash into each other. <laughs> is that what they do? <laughs> That's their response to rain. It's like, yay! Look, it's drizzling! I can't believe yeah. it! I've got to get in my car and smash it into something else. <laughs> and, and that's literally what they do. That's so funny. So I stayed in. I'm glad to hear it. Well, actually, I am. I'm a ten. I would say about a ten minute drive, as long as I don't crash, from your birthplace, uh, Paddington Hospital. Oh my gosh! So there's a hysterical story about that. I was doing a documentary for an artist that we had on our label named Rocco De Luca and the Burden. That was the band name, and and I was with a camera operator. We were in London. And we took the subway and I just, I said, you know, I'm going to show you where I was born. And we were going to St. Mary's hospital in Paddington. (laughs) And this is no joke. Like if I wrote this in a film, you wouldn't believe it. But literally we come out of the subway and I'm looking at St. Mary's hospital across the street. I can't believe the signage is so great that I find it right away. I haven't been there uh, for 40 years. Uh, since I was born and and I walk and I point to the gentleman and I say, now this is where I was born here in London on December 21st, 1966. And before I get the last six out, this wrecking ball <laughs> comes out of nowhere and just knocks half the building down. And you see on camera, my jaw drop. I'm like, you have to be kidding me. This can't be possible. And then, of course, it hits it three more times and the building's gone. And they had raised uh, the hospital that I was born in to the ground and they moved it like two blocks down the road. (laughs) And I just couldn't believe that, you know, 365 days a year, 40 years in a row, and that I arrive on the day that they're going to destroy it. I mean, and and get it on camera with me in the shot is unbelievable. So that's some weird cosmic shit going on, right? I, mean, I know that you must can't. be like people like who who headmasters at your old schools must be sort of texting you constantly, going, "Please don't come and visit, just in case a wrecking ball comes and destroys the gap." Well, you know? or just just that it would have any kind of significance at all. Uh, is kind of extraordinary. And I've watched the footage like more than once just to make sure that it wasn't something that I dreamed or made up. Um, I've got yeah, to see this now. I've got <laughs> to see this. It's funny though. Well, it's in a documentary called I Trust You to Kill Me. Right, there you go. That's the first little nod for the listener. I Trust You to Kill Me. We'll be looking at that as soon as we listen to this. But it's funny that you just hit on something, psychogeography or something. I don't know how you would describe it, but I, had a, I have a similar feeling. Like I went to go show my kids my old school, because I was feeling, you know, dro- drove back up north, back to where I come from and stuff. And I uh-huh. thought, I'll take you, show you what it's like. And it's just, been, that's been raised to the ground as well. And it's a weird feeling, isn't it? Like things that you have a memory of that don't exist anymore. It's a bit odd. I know that okay. you'd have much memory seen as though you were about three hours old, I suppose. Well, but people tell you, you yeah. know, they fill you in. 
and and so you have a memory based on that. I'll tell you the weird thing that I'm getting at now. I'm looking at it as we speak. I <laughs> so I've ruined my backyard like four times during this pandemic because I've had nothing else to do. And in an effort to fix it, I redid a deck and I did the deck in this kind of fake wood plastic stuff that's pretty incredible and it's pretty indestructible. (laughs) And it's the first thing that I've gotten in my lifetime that the warranty is such that I realize I will be dead no. before this thing fails. <laughs> no. And 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 that kind of like I was so happy with my deck and now I look at it with disdain. It's like a constant F you. This is right? gonna outlive me. <laughs> and it's just laughing at me. And Fuck. and I know it's inanimate, but when you start when you get to a point in your life when you start to buy stuff that's gonna last longer than you <laughs> <laughs> you have to kind of have a drink and a laugh. You've got to do. This is one of the reasons. Otherwise, I'm, you'll just implode. Well, I, you know what? We, we're running on the same tracks because I, I remember I went into a hard, what you would call over there, like a hardware store or something. And they were selling bulbs that they claimed were 20-year bulbs. And I thought, there's a very decent chance that this bulb is going to be emitting light on my dead body in the kitchen after I've, yeah. after I've yeah. passed away. That bastard yeah. might outlive me. Just well, like your deck. At, at least you're still saying might. Yeah. I'm looking at my deck and I know <laughs> definitely. that that deck will outlive me. And uh, and it's just, you know. I want to be buried under that deck for a, fuck's sake. That's a little too much perspective for me. <laughs> but before, no, one of the things you've got to do with the lineup, I know, because you were talk, talking about it off air, you've, unlike some people who've done this, who've, who've you know, bossed it at the last minute, you've put some thought into this, right? You've I've got, got two festivals for you. Oh, my God. I've got one that I can explain really quickly in less than two minutes, and then I've got one we can elaborate on. I can't wait to, well, we'll probably get around to both of them. But, you know, we have to put it somewhere. I was, I was going to ask you firstly, like as, a, as an actor, as a musician, you've got this, to, to my mind, like a troubadour-style, railroad-running free spirit. Does travel, does ending up somewhere new, does it ever get old? Do you, is, it, no, is, it, is it constantly it's the, exciting? It's the thing to live for. I mean, the, the greatest fantasy that I ever had, and, and this literally got me through 24, because I don't think I ever really expected to do 24 for even a full season, let alone 10 years. And I'm a goal-oriented person. And so, you know, you take on a task, you want to finish it. And and there was no end in sight for 24. And thank God, I mean, greatest gift I've ever had as an actor. But this fantasy that I would play would be to kind of ride a motorcycle across the United States and put it on like, a great cruise ship like the QE2 or something like that. So you'd ride in your kind of motorcycle stuff across the country. And then the whole cruise ship, you'd wear a tuxedo and kind of be <laughs> James Bond and gamble and, and all the stuff that you would do on a cruise ship and then kind of get off the boat and then kind of travel all the way through Europe on your motorcycle. Uh, and, and that was this trip that this fantasy that I had and, and the, just to what you said, what was so exciting about it were the places that I had never been. Mm. And what kept me going was that it was worth going through hell for was this idea that one day you're going to just get 
to experience a new town day after day after day. And for people that are wired like that, that are interested in seeing something new and and being somewhere new and well gosh i just had a terrible realization it's it's there's nothing worse than going to the same bar night after night and finally the bartender just you can see them out of the corner of your eye when they roll their eyes it's like oh it's him again you know you have to kind of spread your wings and get out there because otherwise people will just hate you and and so for me that was that that was just the fantasy was always to go somewhere new did you actually just to be clear did you actually realize this fantasy this uh biking across america he didn't he, i actually, haven't realized that one no. yet um that's a yet but i've realized it in a, in a level that you know part of the wonderful thing about touring uh even though you don't get to experience where you are the way you might want to Part of what is exciting is that you do go to places that you might never have gone before. Mm. And and so I have a very large checklist of places I need to go back to, to revisit. But the touring thing has been kind of extraordinary in that regard, is you do get to see new places that are refreshing and they're invigorating. And it makes kind of life worthwhile for me. Well, I mean... There are lots of places I haven't been. So, and I mean, I haven't even been to the end of the Jubilee line yet. Um, so I think that there's a TV show in this, Kiefer. It's you and me. We're on the hogs and we go from uh, west to east, across on the QE2. And then, I don't know, we, we follow the Orient Express to Istanbul or something well, on the and, bikes. And, and here's the thing is we, we have to do kind of, there's a dirty part of the trip. Yeah. And then there's a really sophisticated, clean part that's of the right, trip. So you right. and I... Yeah. We could ride around the UK for a bit and yeah. then hop on the Flying Scotsman, <laughs> you know, which is one of the great trains of, of the world, and then put on our tuxedos right, and be yeah. quite posh. Absolutely. And, and really not nice. No. And then get off the train and be cool again. It's, it is like, it, it's uh, James And we'll Brown call the, the show one. I Hate Myself. <laughs> well, there you go. That's commissioned. Um, there we are. But you've got a job to do here before we get into your five acts, because you've got to put the, the reason I'm talking geographically is you need to put this festival somewhere in the world. Where should we put it? I'm putting it in, in the Scottish Highlands. Oh, uh, you, you know what's really, really weird is that you, I think, I'm not good at the math, but I'm pretty sure you're the third person that's put it in the Highlands, including Bobby Gillespie of Primal Scream. Huh. He popped wow. his up there as well. So you're in good company. What is it about the Highlands? I mean, you've lineage there, of course. That and I just, some of the greatest, you know, if you can actually get through the accent and understand anybody, some of the greatest storytellers on the planet, my lineage there. And uh, and just some of the, you know, if you hit it in the right week of the right month of the right year, (laughs) you might have one of the most beautiful days on the planet. If you get that afternoon in the summer, that the weather's decent, it's a great in afternoon. 78. <laughs> They're still talking about it. Yeah. Oh, you remember it? It was cracking the flags here. Um, Did you see the way the sunset like that over the hill? Yeah. Without a cloud in yeah. the sky? No, you're making it yeah. up. So that's great. So we'll have it in the Scottish Highlands. And we need to yeah. call it something, but we can come back to that if you want to see it. No, with I that. can tell you. Oh, I mean, this is great. Wind in my thistle festival. <laughs> the wind in my f- thistle festival. Okay, now this is great. I can see the posters already, can't you? Mm-hmm. So that's a beautiful. Who's that? Or have a look at my Jaxie. 
<laughs> right, the, the, I'm not wearing anything under this cassette. <laughs> yes. Check one. Testing. Is everybody ready yet? We good? We're ready to go. Let the day begin. So there we go. We've got it named. We've nailed the first two bits, which is incredible. It very rarely happens. So let's move to the dawn chorus. Now, let me paint a picture as your festival genie. It's early. It's the break of dawn. The dew is on the, the heather. It is that mythically beautiful Scottish morning. The mists are just clearing, rolling past the hills and mountains. And we're going to kick off. But before we get to the first act, what are your sort of earliest musical memories, Kiefer? You know, because... My earliest musical memories are with my brother. Uh, I have an older brother named Tom, uh, who is seven years older than I am. I idolized him. One of the funniest, coolest people on the planet, a great athlete, and he's who I wanted to be. And he had an amazing music collection. I mean, extraordinary and diverse. And I just remember him giving me records. And the first few records that he gave me uh, he gave me two Elton John records, Madman Across the Water and the first Greatest Hits record. And then he gave me a Jackson 5 record. And I was allowed to take those to my room and I just played them nonstop because he gave them to me. And, and, and then I would get records kind of every couple weeks. I remember making a joke that I was probably the only kid in kindergarten or grade one that had an Aerosmith T-shirt. Um, <laughs> So I just, I, I'd been given this great music and literally from Aerosmith to Marvin Gaye to Stevie Wonder to Leonard Skinner uh, to the Rolling Stones to the Beatles. I got all of that from him. And then also uh, as a child, you know, we had the cartoons on the Sunday morning and the Jackson 5 had their cartoon. Oh, yeah. And the Beatles had their cartoon. And so that was again a very early musical experience, but it was just in a time where, where albums and music was such a part of everybody's life. Yeah. Right. And I could tell the difference. Like my mom was not as into music as my brother was. And so that made it cool. Right. Cause my mom wasn't into it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I even knew that as a five-year-old. You know, so uh, it's that yeah. it's that uh, generational divide, isn't it? That you well, you it's to... just it's ours, right? Yeah. You right. don't yeah. get it, but it's ours. Yeah. And and there's an argument to be made. You know, certainly my kids and my grandkids don't have the same kind of integral response to music that I do. Mm. Do I believe that that pendulum is going to shift and change again? Yes, of yeah. course I do. But it's just different, and every generation is their own. But I just, I certainly, and, and cert when I'm thinking about my teenage years now, music defined who we were. We dressed for it. We dressed, you know, you, you wore the clothes that identified what kind of music you liked. I mean, it was that profound. Yeah. That started for me when I was five years old, and and it's my brother's fault. And it, it, your brother, they're the greatest teachers often big brothers, aren't they? And, 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 but it was such a feckoned time for music. When you look back at those artists that you're talking about, when you were a kid coming up, Jesus, it's hard to beat that, sh that shit, isn't it? And, and you well, know, your music though, you, the music that you make seems, and, and, and a lot of the roles that you inhabit as well, seem all American, but you were this little Toronto kid, weren't you? I mean, did, did that, you moving to Toronto when you were younger, did that have an impact on the things you, you 
were attracted to? Did that sort of amp up the attraction to that American side of culture? Not really to the American side of culture, but I mean, there was great Canadian bands. I oh, mean, God, yeah. whether, whether it was Neil Young, the Guess Who, Anne Murray was, was absolutely huge. And then you had Brian Adams, Rush, Triumph. Yeah. You had great rock bands. Johnny um, Mitchell. Johnny Mitchell. Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, the bands. The band. You had so many great Canadian musicians, and, and, and Canada has such a great mm. kind of song album. The appreciation of music certainly was not lost in Canada. I think the one thing that I really am grateful for, in the United States, the education system is really centered around mathematics and science. And in Canada, I think the education system is, was certainly when I was growing up was centered more around language, mm. literature, uh, which really infused me with a, with an excitement of storytelling and, you know, whether it's songwriting or getting together with a group of actors to tell a story or simply sitting at a bar with a bunch of friends, you know, I was taught that that was a good thing. Yeah. You know, and, and so that was really important because at a very early age, I was told that I was good at it and it kind of reinforced choices that I would make throughout my life. Yeah. So I think that was actually quite a profound difference growing up in Toronto versus potentially growing up in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the storytelling side, I hadn't seen that. And and so we've, we've already name-checked an unbelievable amount of the best artists of all time. So it seems about the right moment to stop putting off this first bit and say, who's the first act? This morning, this perfect arc of this perfect festival day, who's going to be the first on stage, Kiefer? I'm incredibly confident with this choice. Uh, my first artist is going to be Tracy Chapman. <gasps> Talking about a revolution. Talking about a revolution. When? So tell me, tell me all about why she's so important to you. I just think her whole record, like, I think we've gone off of a time where whole albums, mm. you know, people concentrated on making whole albums. Her whole album from track one to track 10, or I, I'm not even sure it might only be nine tracks. Is just perfect to me. She has a voice. She's saying something. What she's saying is is singular yet universal. It's political. It's thought provoking, and she does it in the most unassuming way. Uh, her sense of melody is extraordinary. Her voice is extraordinary, and her guitar playing, I think, is extraordinary. And it just there's something about that first album that just sounds so effortless. Yeah. And I know for a fact, having made three albums, that none of it can possibly be effortless. Yeah. But when you do it that well, that it feels like that, that's yeah. when you know you're right. Yeah. And uh, I, just, I just think she's an extraordinary writer and artist. And I also think that what she said on her first record that debuted in the early 80s or mid 80s is something that needs to be said every day, yeah. every week, every month, every year from then until now. And so I just, yeah, so she's my first artist. That's great. I would have expected some inflection of a political a sort of heartbeat because we know bits about your early life. You know, there's an Anglophile sort of element underneath all of this. We've already mentioned Paddington Hospital. You know, <laughs> your, your dad, of course, but your mum, Shirley, was, as well as a great actor, was this serious activist. Uh, your yeah. paternal granddad would be essentially, am I right in saying he kind of almost... He was one of the architects of the welfare state in Canada. I mean, he was the architect of healthcare in Canada. Yeah. 
and uh, that's and right. Was, yeah, was okay. an incredibly important politician, and he from Falkirk, Scotland, just really, truly the greatest person in our family to date. You know, an extraordinary person. And so, do, um, does that does that run through everything that you do? I mean, you you have portrayed a lot of presidents, for instance, and stuff. I mean, <laughs> but but I've, I've noticed that with the music, uh, you talked about this a lot with when you started writing songs and you came a bit later to writing songs. You you sort of made a conscious decision, it seems, to go that first person Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings route, rather than being metaphorical or rather, right. than, you know, he's, yeah. he's, and it seems that you prefer to use your music as a way of rather than being overtly political, being more personal. Is that fair to say? Well, it's, it's, it's storytelling. You know, I've seen the cost of what it is to be a politician. You know, I didn't know my grandfather till he was five and then he passed away. I was very close with my grandfather till I was 18 years old. And I went a different route. I was interested in the arts. I was interested in something different. It doesn't take away from the fact that that I certainly am aware of the sacrifice that that honest, good politicians that are in it for the idea that they can actually make their city, their town, their borough, their country, the world a better place. Mm. Wow, the sacrifice that you have to make for that is yeah. extraordinary. And I, you know, either because I was lazy or selfish or a variety of other reasons, made a different choice. You know, and so the, the, the storytelling that I'm interested in are kind of big themed. And they're not political by nature. They're, they're human mm. more by nature. So falling in love, having your heart broken, falling mm. out of love, losing somebody. How do you cope with that? How do you cope with someone just simply not liking you? How do you cope with having, you know, uh, disappointment, failure, uh, these things that we all go through this in this effort to get through life, right? I kind of liken it to salmon, right? We're all going to have to somehow jump up that fucking stream. <laughs> and, and maybe if I can look to the person to my right and say, I've been here before, yeah. trust me, go to the left, yeah. <laughs> you know, and help out, then, then I've done my job, you know? And, and so I think the more we can kind of share big theme stories together, yeah. we kind of help each other navigate and we life and we realize that we're not alone. Yeah. And those kinds of things. Now, Tracy Chapman managed to do that and be political. Yeah. Now, if I can grow up and get to that point as a songwriter, oh my God, uh, you know, I'll quit. I promise. <laughs> well, we've got Tracy. She's just done the Dawn Chorus and she's done a smashing job and the Highlands are absolutely rocking already. And I mean, it's up to you. You can, I guess you could join her on stage. It's your gig. But who who do we put on after Tracy Chapman? Who follows Tracy on stage? Well, I'm going to get very Canadian here. Okay. And I'm going to put on Sarah McLaughlin. Mm. Because I think she's one of the most thought, and, and still, we're you know, people are digesting their breakfast. And I think she's one of the most thoughtful writers and just... Just an incredible artist, uh, one of my, you know, just incredible piano player. But but as a vocalist, she's extraordinary. And and she does have her own voice as a vocalist to me. But I just think as a writer. Uh, and I just think that that's kind of a very, based on where I'm going, 
I think she's a perfect artist, and uh, that's my story, and I'm yeah, sticking to I it. I like that. I mean, I, it's funny. I don't actually, I'm not that well versed in Sarah's music. So again, I always say this every episode because somebody always brings me somebody who I need to dig deeper into, and she's definitely going to be one of them. Just to go vault fast here and talk about something totally different for a minute. We've all got stories about what it was like when you move out of home, moving to a flat show with your friends, people stealing food from the fridge, you know, leaving post-it notes everywhere. Somebody doesn't wash <laughs> up. You know where I'm going with this. I'm imagining, I'm just imagining what the flat show was like with Robert Downey Jr., Billy Zane and Sarah Jessica Parker. Well, Billy, Billy stayed, Billy had his own place. Just, he, he was in like the garage. Was he? <laughs> um, the and, pool house. And, and Bobby and Sarah were really working all the time. Like the funniest memory that I have of the entire experience was that we were really there to look after their cat. <laughs> and we had been asked to put in a wood deck on their roof, uh, which we did, but we got so stoned. <laughs> and we got their cat really stoned. How did that happen? Well, we we kept blowing the pot. <laughs> Little blowbacks for the kitty. Nose. Oh my god! And we were so stoned that we couldn't move. And again, this is not Bobby or Sarah. These these are my friends. The wood deck is finished, and the cat is walking along the top of the the wall at at the height of the roof, and then just falls off. <laughs> and there were six of us there. All of us saw it. And no one could move. And finally, <laughs> someone started to laugh. And I remember saying, that's not funny. We're in a lot of trouble. And it took us another hour before we could move. And I looked over the wall, to kind of anticipating seeing this kind of horrible image of this dead cat on the ground below. And it had fallen into the eaves trough, like four <laughs> feet below. And was just as stoned as we were and just kind of looked up smiling. <laughs> I was like so grateful. And I don't think to this day that I've actually told them. That's brilliant. How bad we were at what we had to oh, do. Oh, God. I, I just find that incredible. I mean, the, the other thing is that decking comes up a lot. I think, Kiefer, I'm getting the impression that you're quite handy. You're, you're, you're decent. Oh, at I'm DIY. not handy. That's the other well, joke. that's weird as well. I don't know what I was doing there on that night or that day because I couldn't build a doghouse if my life depended on it. Well, I mean, I'm let not alone surprised if, you, roof. if you've if you got a massive uh, Kiefer reefer on the go, you know, I mean, that's no, going to slow you down, I isn't was it? Just I was just following instructions. <laughs> they, they told me to do it, mother. Um, yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I, I love just again, it's like there's a couple of different TV programs with me and you in it. And the next one is like a version of we have a program over here called DIY SOS, where people have got 36 hours to fix up somebody's home. I mean, we could definitely do this. Um, I think, you know, but our version might include uh, smoking the occasional joint. And I yeah. don't know whether the BBC would go with it or not. No, we could do it because I could hire other people to do it while okay. we judged them while they did it. <laughs> Just keep your cats out, for Christ's sake. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a nice start to this Highland Festival, to me. We've got Tracy Chapman doing her sort of understated, but that sort of utterly inimitable voice. Sarah McLaughlin second. What do we go to next? Who's third on the bill? Well, now I, now you want to just kind of kick it up, right? Okay. So yeah. now the festival has to kind of really take off. And I think certainly one of the best live acts that I've seen in the last, two decades, is Green Day. And so I would have Green Day start. Bloody now, now, now we're going to start getting into, you know, that whole idea of like, I would like a whiskey and a fight. Um, <laughs> Speaking that, of and, whiskey, and though, because like... In the Scottish Highlands, too, which is well, kind of perfect. So now it's going off, yeah, you, Green you, Day. Would you have like a PT uh, local, you know, single malt as opposed to, you know, something a bit more Jim Beam, Jack Daniels-y at this point? No, I, I drink the cheap shit. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have a liter of bells, please. Give me your three-year blended whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> are you re- are you not are you not that fussy about it, really? No, no. I at love all. that, mate. I love no, that. I'm glad that you're not. I'm all about the destination. Great. I'm none of that two hundred dollar bottle business. This is good to hear. Green Day, and so what was your again? What was because I'm remembering about ninety three, ninety four Green Day coming out, sort of that simply just sort of on the tail end of grunge a little bit, wasn't it? But they've been such survivors, haven't they? Yeah, and and I just I just think he's a great I think they're a great band, but I also I just think he's a great musician, and I think he's a thoughtful writer. Uh, I think he's an incredible guitar player, Billy Joe, and uh, and I just think he's cool. He's got an incredible sense of style, and and he's been so committed to what he does, and it just shines through. I mean, I just I I've, I've never seen him give a performance where he seem to sit back and just try to get through it. I mean, this pedal to the metal uh, in your face and just, you know, I think that you have to feel that. You have to be that person. I don't think that's something that you can manufacture. It's who you are. And I just really admire him for it. And I just think he's an incredible player. And to kind of write, I don't want to call it soft punk, but kind of in that world, to be able to write kind of melodic hits that he the, that he has written, yeah, uh, I just think is an extraordinary accomplishment. What? Which of your biggest music heroes? Sorry if this is a reductive question, but which of the big music heroes that that you have have you either met, performed with, maybe have their numbers on your phone? Have you got any? Has that kind of thing ever happened to you? Not, not really. No, 
Um, do you sort of have a little distance from that in a sense? You prefer to have them on a pet as not, heroes? Not, not on purpose. You know, I just... Uh, You've probably heard about you and the cats. I think the musicians that I really admire don't kind of slum in the bars that I go to. So, you know, so it's just... Uh, <laughs> what, $9 whiskey? No, you're yeah, right, I, no. If I ever saw Mr. McCartney, Sir McCartney at the fucking chimney sweep, I'd be like, wow, that's cool. But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> that's so good <laughs> we've talked before and I, I, it's one of my favourite stories of anybody's is the story about you and your dad Donald of course and you went to to hang out with Bowie because he, your dad knew that you were a big Bowie fan and you turned yeah. up and, and, and Davey was like oh you brought your family like <laughs> and I had eyeliner on <laughs> I had so eyeliner sweet. on and and a gunslinger belt I was 14 <laughs> I, I couldn't have looked more kind of special. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, this doesn't happen very often, but I've actually just run into a wall and I am at a loss for words. And I think it was so kind of my dad because I love, and, and this brings me to my other festival, which yeah. is, and I can run through this in two seconds. It's called the Guest Festival. Right. G-U-E-S-S. Oh, I like um, that. Yeah. Or just one S maybe because I'm being laughed at. Um, and it's all David Bowie. But oh. the first act, the first act is Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. The second act is Aladdin Sane. Yeah. Then the third act is Iggy Pop because you need to wake up. <laughs> and the the fourth act is T-Rex. Uh, yeah. Mark Bolin, who yeah. was, he was a huge fan of. Yeah. And then the headliner is the Serious Moonlight Tour. Beautiful. Bloody hell, mate. You've slipped that in nicely. That That's a sort of, well, okay, I guess that this is fantasy, so we could have that running concurrent, if that's the right word, side by side, you know. Yeah, you just got to let him change his clothes. That's it. We've just got to... And bring him back from the dead. How are you doing out there? Are you ready for the next act of the day? People, make some noise! So we go from Green Day, and I, I'm I'm keenly aware that we've got we've got Kiefer Sutherland here. We haven't got all day, you know. So I, I've got to make sure I get your your fourth and your fifth uh, in the sunset moment and the headline. Do you want me before. to do that now? I want you to hit me with who comes on as Billy walks off stage. Uh, who's coming on after him? Hot hot on the tails of Green Day. Prince. Fuck yeah, bloody hell! And it has to be a specific Prince. Yeah. The reason why I say this is I was so blown away by Prince's performance at George Harrison's induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And there's a moment when Prince kind of looks back and smiles at Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne and then winks like, yeah, I know you two didn't know I could play guitar like this. <laughs> And it's one of the coolest things I've just ever seen yeah. in my life. And so that's the prince that yeah. plays at my festival. And and Purple Rain and When Doves Cry. And, and just, he's a monster guitar player. 
And I want him to show that off at this festival. And it's a highlight performance for Brilliant. his career. And that's my fantasy. It's so beautiful. And I'm glad you mentioned that. It's I think he's playing While My Guitar Gently Weeps when he that's does that correct. solo, doesn't he? And yeah. you're right, he just tears it a new asshole completely. And everybody, he, I think Danny Harrison, George's son, is just like virtually crying. He can't believe what he's seeing. I've so. never seen anyone move with a guitar like that. <laughs> and, and hit the notes. Yeah. Like... <laughs> For all of you out there that don't play guitar, that's just not possible no. what he did. Because it's choreography um, and virtuoso guitar playing, isn't it? You know what I mean? Madness. How you move and hit those notes and not have a bang or anything kind of sloppy happen. And it's so melodic, that solo. It's a singing part. Yeah. It's not a shredder yeah. part. It's a singing part. To be able to play that solo and move around the way he did is just, uh, it, it's another body. It's, it's not of this world. And, and, and so that's the prince that plays my festival. The wind in my thistle. The wind, the wind in my thistle. Uh, on the There's Scottish a movie Highlands. title if I've ever heard one. It's like, it's up there with whiskey galore, isn't it? It's a beauty. Um, that, I can't even whistle very well. And I'm like. I'll, I'll leave that to me. Um, okay. And, okay, then we, we I, I realize that I'm, I'm running out of runway, so I need to make sure that we, we it would be awful to get to the end and then we, we miss the, the actual headliner. So uh -huh. you, it's hard to it's hard to follow Prince. It's hard to follow the Prince who's just done the most on point, beautiful, improvised solo of all time and everybody's standing around crying. But just as mm -hmm. the sun goes down behind the hills and the highlands, who mm -hmm. then walks on stage for the headliner moment? Tom Petty. Yay! I wrote down, actually, funnily enough, because I was watching um, Chasing the Rain, uh, which is off Blow Street, of course, your, your latest album. There's just some there's some really beautiful stuff on there. It's just so, it's literally... Thank you. But it is, it's so, it's so Springsteen. It's, it's shot through, and I know that that's kind of a, a hackneyed thing to say, but but the, the really lovely melodies as well and really beautifully hewn songs. But that Thank Chasing you. the Rain reminds me so, it's so petty. Oh, well, he's, he's my favorite songwriter of all time, uh, followed very closely, actually, by Bob Seger. Um, but Tom Petty from the Damn the Torpedoes era, mm. one of the greatest performers I've ever seen. And, and I think one of the challenges of following someone like Prince is you better have the songs. If you have the songs, you can survive it. Yeah. And if you go to, if you went to a Tom Petty concert before he passed away, you will sit there for two hours and you will know every single song. Yeah. And you might not even own a Tom Petty record, <gasps> but you'll know every song. And that's when you realize that this artist is part of the fabric of your life. And when you have at my festival, 80,000 people singing together Tom Petty songs. Well, that 80,000 people, those 80,000 people realize that they've all got something in common. Yeah. And that's the knowledge of Tom Petty songs. And then there's no fights in the parking lot <laughs> and it's cool. Everybody's got their arms around each other. That's right. Blowing smoke That's in the right. cat's faces. In the cat's face. In the cat's face. <laughs> there you go. And it is. It's, I mean, even the fact that, that you can come back from doing hit after hit with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and then come out with Wildflowers and come out with some of the biggest songs of his career just mm -hmm. as himself. And 
What's yeah. his guitar player called? I forgot his guitar player. Mike name. Campbell. One of the great rock guitar players of all time, isn't he? One of not only one of the great guitar players of all time, uh, but one of the kind of most underestimated mm. guitar players of all time. Uh, yeah, I mean Mike Campbell. If you listen to everything, like early songs of Tom Petty's, like, you know, um, Breakdown, that little three-note guitar line is as hooky as the vocal. I yeah. mean, it's just extraordinary what, you know, and he's not credited as a songwriter, but in the arrangement, he makes the song yeah. in many cases. And I think Tom Petty would be the first person to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he has said that. So... Yeah, Mike Campbell's just extraordinary. The whole band was just, you know. It's just on fire else. all the time. I mean, yeah. what a wonderful, wonderful experience. I'm annoyed. We're going to have to do it again at some point, obviously. I've not even got round to rodeo and roping. You know, the album, though, Blow Street, is out. You're going to be on tour in the UK. You're back, you're back to touring soon. Well, we were you? supposed to be there now. I mean, you and I were yeah. supposed to have this conversation in person. Uh, but again, Omicron. Put an end to that. So uh, I've, I've got to do a television show called Rabbit Hole, uh, which we start in April. And then I will be finished with for this year in September. And then we will be over in, in Europe in end of September, October. I can't so wait. I'm, yeah, me too. I can't wait to finally see you lay it down, mate. And obviously next year we've got the Wind and Thistle Festival in the Scottish Highlands with Tracy Chapman, Sarah McLaughlin, Green Day, Prince and Tom Petty. And then we've got the whole guest fest with Bowie as well at the same time. So there's a lot to pack in, basically. It's, it's, this is so hard to do. I've got a whole disco festival <laughs> that I worked on last night. I've got a folk festival. I mean, Well, when, you, when you come back, when you're actually, when we're face-to-face, -face, we'll do the disco and the folk. Okay. That's a deal. The disco festival is pretty cool. I can't fucking wait for that. Okay. Is it, have I got this right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off now and let you go on to the next thing, but I'm sure that one of the lyrics that I heard on the one of the songs off the new album is, I'll see you in hell when I fucking die. Goodbye. That is, got that right? That, that's, that's, it's, it's from a song called Goodbye, and it's the last lyric. It's yeah. a beauty. Well, obviously, you know, <laughs> hopefully that won't happen in the very near future for either of us. But uh, what I will say, Kiefer, thank you so much for doing the lineup with us today. It was a pleasure and a privilege. Kiefer Sutherland. Absolute pleasure for me. Cheers, mate. We'll see you soon. See you soon, pal. Cheers. Bye.